0: Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the Old Food Basics Discover Podcast, where we try to learn something new about our incredible industry on every single episode. I'm your host, Derek Craig, and this is episode number 26. And we've got a phenomenal topic here for you guys today. We're going to be talking about supply chain and regarding pipe. So Lots of things in the pipe side of the industry. And I don't know much about this at all, as with most of my topics, it seems. Most of the topics that we do on this. So I'll be learning right along with you guys. But we're going to talk a little bit about manufacturing and just kind of more of the life cycle of uh, different types of pipe and the different types of pipe that exists. And we've got uh, the one of the hosts of the oil, or the Pipe Brothers podcast with us, named Jake Jensen with us. And he'll be on here in just a minute. Before we dive into that, I just want to make sure that Y'all are aware. Uh, we just launched a another course on our website. Uh, this one's called Oil and Gas Economic Evaluation, and so this is going to be a pretty valuable topic for. I mean, really any, anybody that has even remotely <laughs> relationships to the office and any type of office work or anything where you're actually trying to evaluate whether or not to embark upon a particular project. And this isn't necessarily oil and gas. I mean, it is oil and gas specific. It's got a lot of things that are. Relating to this uh, oil and gas economics, but even if you're, you know, even if you've got something else that um, you just want to look at the economics of, you can ignore the oil and gas specific parts of it and use it for even other industries. So lots and lots of applications here. Um, but I'll read you the objective here, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the author, and then we'll move on. Uh, the objective is pretty much to cover the fundamentals of oil and gas economic analysis and project evaluation. And upon completion of the course, uh, students will be able to build a cash flow model. From start to finish and evaluate various projects. So, step by step work through uh, or workflow is going to be presented uh, to build a comprehensive net cash flow model. So, (laughs) if these terms aren't sounding familiar to you, uh, this will be a beneficial course. Just understand a little bit about. Why we choose to do the operations that we do and the projects that we do. Why we don't just drill anywhere. Uh, and we're going in this course too. It also goes over um, you know, how to how to view operating expenses. and even even like I said, oil and gas specific stuff such as BTU factors and shrinkage factors and all that kind of stuff it takes into account uh network or net revenue interest and working interest all this kind of stuff <laughs> and so again if these terms are unfamiliar to you guys this would be a good good uh, overview course um but he the author also walks you through literally creating a big spreadsheet to do all of this so very cool course uh check it out and they also he also talks about taxes and <laughs> weight of debt and equity, cost of debt, cost of equity, a bunch of stuff. So it's a very comprehensive course. Uh, check it out, we're basically offering it. I mean, for <laughs> the retail we're putting on is 150 bucks, which for a course like this, we are probably gonna be uh, evaluating projects that are in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions. You know, that's, that's basically nothing. And this is definitely something good to have on your resume that you know about, especially if you ever end up in something more of a, a development type of role or, or something like that. So um, the author here, his name is Haas Belyadi. Um, I know him primarily through Marietta College. Uh, he actually was an adjunct—how ad, adjunct, you say that word? Faculty member. <laughs> he taught a couple of the classes, and uh, he's got a lot of background in uh, completions, hydraulic fracturing, and the design of it. And he's had a lot of it, a lot of SPE papers, and he's even got a book. It's a phenomenal book. He's got two now, two editions. Uh, So all that's on our website. You can check it out. And (laughs) while some of that stuff sounds like it might be over your head, uh, Haas definitely has a very, very, very good way of presenting it. Uh, Definitely to to where it's on anybody's level (laughs) so he's a very good professor uh, in my experience and and he's very very great guy so check that out that's on our website again oil and gas economic evaluation course so just became available here so check that out and you know if it's not for you maybe it's for one of your friends you know (laughs) so share the word and we also we got other courses on there as well so check that out periodically and with that said uh now we'll get into our topic of of pipe so jake's on the phone with us how you doing jake
1: Doing great, Derek. Thanks for having me on.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, not a problem. You're the one who reached out to me, and I'm glad you did. Uh, I checked out your your podcast here just recently. I listened to it while I was having lunch, actually, before we uh, hit the record button here today. And I learned a lot about, uh, you, you were talking about um, uh, pipe rep, on-site pipe rep. <laughs> so a lot of cool topics. So you know anybody who's listening to this episode and wants to know more about pipe and that world and I'll definitely be listening to for future episodes. So check them check them out. So tell us a little bit about your yourself and your podcast.
1: Yeah, we're um so we are we work for Coastal Pipe. It's a family company. We've been doing this for about I've been doing it for twelve, John for about fifteen, sixteen years. Um uh, and uh Jonathan uh is a music producer in another life. And so he's got all this equipment to, to do podcasts. And so one day it must've been three, four months ago. I thought it was his idea. He says it was mine. We just looked at each other and said, <laughs> man, let's, let's just do a podcast. We got all the assets, all the equipment. You know, we talk about pipe every day and, and, we, so then we, we were off. We started recording, um, talk about we talk about the price of O C T G, the the market of OCTG. O C T G is the steel pipe that we trade in upstream oil fields, It's what we use to hold the hole open and produce the fluids, casing and tubing. Mm-hmm. And um been doing that for doing the podcast for a couple months now. We love it. Our our listenership is still growing, although we are not tech savvy enough to know how many subscribers we have because uh, there's a paywall we have to go through or something. But Yeah, that's not an easy uh, metric to get. Yeah. So, so we're not, we're not there yet, but we've got a lot of listeners. We're having a great time and um, it's, it's great to meet other people in the podcast space like yourself who are really doing a great service to the industry.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I'd like to, this is something I, I'd like to do too and that more in the future is actually get some of the other podcast hosts you know on as guests of, of this show and also maybe vice versa I mean you get the, the mutual exposure and then also you get to you know learn about their end of, of the world <laughs> you know and, and what all they have um, you know their specific topics and especially this one with pipe and it's cool in collaborations like this on, on your podcast you know I'm sure you'll you dive deeper on specific topics like I just said the the pipe rep. Um, but when you know, when it, coming on a guest of this show, we get to be more broad and, and kind of introduce, well, myself, but listeners as well, to this, to this, to this world and topic. So it's great to great to have you on.
1: <laughs> Definitely, man. Definitely. Um, before we jump into pipe, I, I just want to give you uh, quick props that you know y'all y'all's um, the the product you guys offer the market is so needed. I was telling you over the the my email a couple maybe it was a couple weeks ago that when I first started looking for educational things on the internet this is about six or seven years ago I wanted to see step by step how an oil well is drilled I spent a thousand dollars on a seven cd set oh, wow. I don't think they make multiple cd sets anymore
0: <laughs> and someone's out there so- probably still selling those though <laughs> <laughs>
1: probably so yeah our, our grandparents probably bought them but uh yeah so it's a. Uh, it, it's needed it which you're transferring knowledge and education in the oil field is needed but the only products out there that are that are they're they're hard to find and they're high dollar and
2: they're mm-hmm. they don't really
1: even do a great job of it so i found y'all's website y'all are doing the best job of anybody i'm seeing do it and it's it really is a great service y'all doing to do into the industry because you know we we say in pipe there is no pipe 101 there's no pipe course you can go mm-hmm. to to learn about steel pipe particularly Ah, uh, the end of the lifestyle and recondition pipe. So
0: um, really,
1: really excited to see what you guys are doing today and what y'all are gonna be doing in the next couple of years.
0: <laughs> I appreciate it. We definitely have a lot more ideas than we do have time <laughs> to dedicate it. <laughs> uh, but definitely, like there's definitely a, a pretty big vision that you know that we started the company with and even still try to embark towards on every single you know every single day and every single episode. But yeah, so, Hard to hard to tell where all this will will take us. To be I appreciate you uh, reaching out you, you you did say that you found us through our sites. That's that's pretty cool. It's a pretty way to pretty cool way to go about it. Then you end up being a guest on our show. So <laughs> but,
1: LinkedIn. I saw you on LinkedIn in between Gary Vaynerchuk posts, which seems oh, gotcha. like that's where everything <laughs> appears. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <In between>. yep. <laughs> yep, try to post things on on LinkedIn. Our, our LinkedIn presence has grown pretty good too. we we just crashed at thirty five hundred uh, thirty five hundred uh, followers on our LinkedIn page alone, um, so that's just the, the business oh, page, yeah. and then uh, personal, you know, personal accounts and stuff even are, are greater than that. So it's good to have that that presence and all those relationships, really. But <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty cool.
1: Right on, that's awesome. Yeah, the growth on LinkedIn uh, and just on social media in general, the whole field is just at the beginning of its growth cycle. I think I think we're going to start to see a lot more people use it even more. It's going to be you know, I'm just starting now to get uh, more marketing efforts really come to fruition based on social media. So yeah. definitely early in that. And that it'll cycle. be interesting
0: to see and you know, watch what that uh, LinkedIn Live becomes. I think LinkedIn itself is still kind of launching that per se. But that's something I'd like to eventually maybe get us involved with, uh, maybe do some live shows, just because there's such an audience there and a pretty tentative audience. So it'd be good to get some feedback and, you know, hear from them, you know, live time or Whatever be the case, but um, one thing I mentioned too—you mentioned the the CDs and stuff, the DVDs that cost thousand dollars or whatever—and that used to be the, the old way. But one of the nice things about what we do, uh, whether it's you know videos or whether it's a course, like I was just mentioning with the economic evaluation course, all of that stuff can be updated with the click of a button. Uh, so you don't have to worry about you know that's one of the reasons we we went this way about it is you know because everything's always changing all the time. And especially with our, like, one one course that Sebastian and I designed and have on our site, you know, that's something that literally if something changes or becomes inaccurate, literally it's a couple clicks away, it's fixed, nobody knows the difference, and it's not misinformation anymore. So, pretty cool So, <laughs> technology.
1: <laughs> Do I don't know if all new cars have CD players, even. <laughs> so,
0: it's getting I phased mean, out, yep. <laughs> yeah, because they take up so much room, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, well, I'm excited to kind of start diving into uh, the topic here. So in the the email or somewhere along the way, you said OCTG supply chain from a market perspective. So for someone like me who doesn't really know besides what pipe is and a couple of the different types of threads, OCTG doesn't mean anything to me. (laughs) So maybe let's start there. Let's start (laughs) there and kind of start diving in and see where it goes. (laughs) That's a great place. That's a great place. So
1: OCTG stands for Oil Country Tubular Goods. It is the steel pipe that is used in upstream oil field operations. Specifically, it is the tubing that produces the fluids from downhole and the, the casing that holds the hole open after you drill it out. And um, so people refer to it as OCTG or steel pipe or tubulars um, or uh those are the main things that people will refer to it as. And, so uh, it's kind of just
0: more of a designation than a specific type of pipe or anything? Right, right. Okay. It's um, gotcha. a lot of different types of OCPG.
1: Gotcha, right. gotcha. We, uh, and so we, we've been doing that for our company for about 62 years. We're a stock and distributor. And um, so we, we grew up on doing refurbished pipes. Uh, but we, about 10 years ago, our customers grew so much to where we could not keep up with the demand. Uh, these horizontal rigs need so much pipe, they you have to partner with the mill. And so about 10 years ago, I started really diving deep into the manufacturing process and how steel pipe is made, how to track its quality, and all the different characteristics of it from cradle to, to grave. And, and since we have the refurbished side of our business, we can talk about multiple different grades of where it goes to. Uh, we call that, and it, it's not a grave, but we call the refurbicide yellow band pipe, which I know a lot of people out there probably heard of yellow band. Uh, and I'll get to that, that later on in our conversation, but I was hoping to maybe start early on in the, the life cycle of, of pipe and kind of work up that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: so uh, steel pipe, uh, it start, you start making it with iron ore, coke and coal, limestone, and scrap, but that's not really important parts of the process to people who are not involved in steel mill making a pipe. The, the part of the manufacturing process that's really important to the stakeholders further down the pipe supply chain is when you get to buying e- or using or coming in contact with either ERW pipe or seamless pipe. Those are the two popular, really the only two, uh, styles of manufacturing for pipe and the difference between the two is erw is about 10 to 15 percent less costly than seamless uh, they are made from different semi-finished products erw is made from hot rope coil which is steel sheet that's rolled up into like a to- piece of toilet paper not a piece but a roll of toilet paper <laughs> and they uh, a steel mill will unroll it and then fold the pipe over through a series of dies into a pipe shape and then weld it along that seam. And that becomes ERW pipe. Hmm. Um, Seamless pipe is made from a steel rod called a billet that's heated up. And then it's steadied on some rollers and pierced with a a long lance. And it makes pipe that way where there is no ERW seam. And that's why they call it seamless pipe. Hmm. You'll typically have, Better chemistries in seamless pipe, uh, it's a little more expensive, and uh, more premium connections go on seamless pipe than ERW. Uh, the consensus in the industry is ERW is a little more susceptible to corrosion, and every time there's a failure on ERW, um, it, it happens at that seam. Whether it's a burst or a collapse failure, it happens at that seam. Even if it's within spec, that's where it typically happens.
0: Now, now, what's kind of more commonly used then? and uh, Is there one preference over the other? Is it just pretty well um, even?
1: That's a great question. It's it's close to 50-50. Sometimes it'll get to 60-40 split in both ways. Um, there are more ERW mills than seamless mills. But your seamless mill capacity is typically a lot higher than ERW mills uh, because it, it costs a lot more to make a seamless mill, about a billion dollars or more. Oh, Whereas wow. ERW mills, you could put an ERW mill together for uh, what is that? Eight figures, you know, fifty million, maybe a couple hundred million dollars. Mm. Um, and so, but the, the mix is pretty pretty even out there. Um, the only place I hesitate to put ERW pipe in is a horizontally fracked well, and a lot of people do it. Um,
0: <laughs> we, that makes us feel good then. <laughs> <but> <laughs> yeah. just and, b- breeze and, right uh, over that, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they so the the um we just you know we knew when we started selling pipe in these horizontally fracked wells that we we could not afford a failure so we we go through great lengths uh more than anybody else I know uh to to make sure that the pipe's good and and while there's cost savings with e r w and a lot of people have great success with them we for horizontally fracked wells we decided to to forego that um but, um, yeah, the, the industry has gotten so much better over the years. I mean, failure rates in horizontally fractured wells were about roughly 10% in the 2009, 10 area, whenever the shale boom really took off mm-hmm. and then quickly it, it dissipated. And we got a couple of theories on why it dissipated. Um, we, we saw improvements in the quality of pipe being produced, but, um, but, yeah, that, that's why we do it. Uh, you know, um, ERW is just not a cup of tea for horizontal wells, but for, for deep high-pressure wells we'll do it, for shallow wells we'll do it, and for the reconditioned side of our business, we do not know all the time if the pipe in the reconditioned side is ERW or seamless because they make that ERW line so seamless, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. hard to find the ERW line in ERW pipe. Because of great advancements
0: they've made, and so,
1: um, yeah, it's uh they're both great styles of pipe to me.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. How, how like if you can even, even tell the difference by looking at it, but you pretty well just answered that. And the other question, um, you mentioned you would run ERW on even a high pressured well, um, but then I'm thinking, so so what is it about the the unconventional, the horizontal wells that kind of make you a little bit more nervous per se is it it just the fact of like running the pipe is more going to be more strenuous on it because of the the torque
1: right they there's a there's that's a great question so one is the dynamic loads uh when we started selling pipe in the oil field in in horizontal fractal wells you know i went to steel mills and i asked them. i said what happens if something goes wrong and You got to press them, but they eventually all told me, well, the pipe's not made to do that. And it's true. I mean, pipe's not made to be bent 90 degrees and fracked through 20, 30, 50, 60 times at its theoretical burst pressure, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, are are close to that or even 80% of that. Um, there's called, um, there's cyclic fatigue that happens to pipe whenever you do that to it. And it's not designed to do that. So, Mm -hmm. um, so, they, those, the dynamic loads, right? So when you, the combination of bending it and fracking it and having a little bit of tension on it too, or maybe even a little bit bit of compression. Um, And again, every time you have an ERW failure, even when it's within spec, it is, it happens at that weld line because the weld line has a, a different metal in it than from the rest of the pipe. And it also makes it potentially Another uh, issue that comes into play with these dynamic loads is um, H2S cracking mm. or, or any type of stress corrosion cracking. If you have chlorides down there, uh, that throws you a real big curveball too. And having that different metal at the ERW line makes it more su- potentially more susceptible to those issues. So it's the, the combination of the dynamic loads and then – Uh, your corrosion becomes a little bit more of an issue where when you're hanging pipes straight up and down, pipe's made to resist uh, bursts and collapse. And actually, uh, ERW pipe, you will see with more uniform burst failure rates, not failure rates, but more uniform burst because ERW pipe is more concentric than seamless pipe. And so concentric means that it's a more perfect circle, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Uh, And the, the reason why ERW can be more is, is typically more concentric and seamless is it's much easier to c- control the wall thickness of a sheet of pipe. Remember that hot roll coil? Mm-hmm. It's much easier to control the wall thickness of that sheet of pipe that you then just fold over to make a tube than it is to control the wall thickness of a seamless pipe that you created from steadying a hot steel rod on rollers and piercing it with a spear.
0: Hmm. That's if that makes sense, yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's a good point. Yeah.
1: So, um, so yeah, we like to stay away from it on horizontal wells.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I appreciate. appreciate you taking the time to answer that. I didn't mean to throw you off your groove too much, but <laughs> that that makes sense. I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> no, that was a great question, man. That was that was great. All right, so we got the the two different types. So, what what's next that we need to know?
1: Um, so after you, after you make the pipe, then you're, you got to heat treat it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to heat it up and hold it at a certain temperature. And then b- what most people do is they quench it, you heat it up and then you hit it with water, uh, really fast, really hard, usually just on the OD, uh, of the pipe and it, it drops the temperature real fast. And then in most grades you heat it back up and you let it air cool. Uh, or you control the the rate of it, the way the temperature falls. And that does not change the chemical properties. You still have the same amount of carbon in it as you did before, the same amount as phosphorus and sulfur and all that stuff as you did before. But that changes the mechanical properties, your tensile strength, your yield strength, your percent elongation, your ductility. uh, And that determines the strength of the pipe. Um, Mm. And then after you heat treat it, you finish it. Uh, which means you thread it, you put a bunch of different types of threads on it. Um, and you'll right now real popular on the market is the semi premium threads that are they're a modified buttress where they they get you high torque because uh, that's a when you make a connection on pipe and you thread pipe you're you're giving somebody essentially three things. you're giving them torque at the connection. you're giving them uh, sealability. Uh, definitely liquid-tight, but gas-tight is optional. It's a lot more expensive to do gas-tight feelability in a connection. Hmm. And you're giving them clearance. What's the outside diameter of that connection? And that determines what kind of hole it can fit inside of. And um, since this shale boom, torque has been really big, really important to people, because they want to get it through that turn of the the horizontal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that that's been real popular these days.
0: So, so, so not all of the the threads are actually made to be uh, be able to seal gas in, then.
1: Right, right, and um, so that's definitely something as a, a young engineer or a or a purchasing manager or anyone involved, or, or even if you're on location, um, even uh, connections if they're gas tight, they will say they're gas tight. And if they say they're gas tight, then it's worth it to ask what research has been done to prove that they're gas tight, because there's, and I'm, again, I should have put this, uh, at the beginning of it. I'm a pipe dealer. I'm not a, not a metallurgist. i am not a, <laughs> uh, a, a R and D guy or a technical guy. I'm a technical salesperson. I enjoy it. I love it. It helps me do what I, what, what, what I make a living doing.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
1: um, I'm not super versed in, in things like that, like what makes a, a thread gas-tight. I know that there's millions of dollars of testing you have to do to officially claim it's, it is gas-tight and be able to be confident, confident in the repeatability of making that thread mm-hmm. so that it's gas-tight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so that that's something to be very aware of. Don't That's a great question. Don't assume that all threads are gas-tight. A lot of them might be gas-tight, but it's the repeatability, and so you might have mm-hmm. if you use the same thread for twenty wells, the first three wells might have gas tight connections, but then they won't after that. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and plus you'll you'll feel it in the pocketbook. If your pocket feels really light, then you're probably getting gas tight.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> now, now as part of that, like you know, let's say you get a, you have a pipe thread that is actually it's supposed to be gas tight. Does that also probably then come with like specific running procedures or like certain amounts of dope or certain amounts of you know whatever you know that has to be like perfect on that that connection to actually make sure yes. it's gas tight?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, all threads have running procedures. Um, as you go down the, as you get more and more technical threads, more expensive threads, gas tight threads, then you've got more. You really need to follow the running procedures even more because it's common for running procedures to not be followed to a T. So when we sell premium connections, we, at our cost, send a thread rep to location to make sure those running procedures are followed. And that, mm. those include things like putting a very thin layer of dope on the connection. And that's varies from connection to connection. Uh, our Chrome connections, which are premium gas type connections, uh, they require so little dope. You have to put such a thin layer of dope on that connection. Um, another thing that you want to do with with uh, premium connections and tubing is you want to you and, and casing, you want to use a stabbing guide. Um, a stabbing guide is a piece, is a it's a plastic piece that you put around the collar that sticks out the hole on the rig floor
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that way when you're putting the pin thread into that, that female thread the plastic stabbing guide protects all the metal from hitting each other and it guides the thread into that collar to where you're not going to have stabbing damage where you're going to hit the two connections together too hard.
2: Gotcha. And,
1: uh, so that's real important. So there's, there's tons of running procedures you want to follow, especially with premium connections. And it always pays to have a third party thread rep there because it's a lot of information to know all the different running procedures of what you're supposed to do. Um, oh yeah. Definitely worth it. Gotcha.
0: But yeah. All right. So we got the different types of pipe and you started talking about the manufacturing and uh, the threads. So one thing I'd like to um, get at some point for our website or for our Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, is some kind of documentation of some of the different types of, of, of common threads, what they look like, how people to be able to identify them, uh, maybe get more familiar with That's actually being used now, on, like the the unconventionals. Right. So if you have any of that material, uh, please feel free to send it our way and I'll, I'll make sure that it gets out <laughs> and I'd be curious to see it myself. <laughs>
1: absolutely no absolutely there's um there's definitely a handful of much more popular threads out there and we'll i'll put together a little video and and show you what what the threads what the threads look like um and um man i could geek out on thread we actually did a show on on a thread just on the thread rep side of it uh just talking about the importance of a thread rep and what Mm -hmm. it needs to do for different threads um so yeah I, i i that would be a Great opportunity for me to geek out on camera a couple times.
0: <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> we'll definitely share it. It'll, I'm sure it'll travel far too because that's something that uh, is valuable. I think for anybody to be able to recognize just some of the the common you know threads of pipe. Really, the the ones I'm familiar with, like eleven and a half V and the ten round, like that's all like old school stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's some yeah. sometimes still being used, but <laughs> that's mostly on older Dude, older wells. Yeah.
1: you you are very aware. I mean, yeah, 10, ten round is a thread used a lot, but in in, in upstream oil field, it was used in the past, and uh, it's not really used anymore. In fact, I've got um, a 10-round test plug in my uh, office to remind me of a story my my father told me. Our father started, no, my grandfather started Coastal Pipe 62 years ago. My father still works here. Oh, awesome. And he told me a story who, uh, when he, he bought some pipe, that he didn't know was ten round. He ten round and eight round are so close to each other, it's hard to tell with the naked eye. Eight round is the is the most ubiquitous, most common thread in upstream o- OCTG. Uh, it is mm-hmm. the most common thread out there. So, but they're not compatible, and so he had to get these special test plugs made to hydrotest the ten round he bought. And I got those in my my office right now. Um, but but yeah, that's very. Intuitive of you to, to know that 10 round used to it used to be used a lot. Uh, now the common threads are eight round. Uh, p six is a very popular two step premium connection that's used in work string pipe. Um, and CS Hydrail is also a really popular thread used in tubing in uh, production. Um, and common chrome threads are Fox, JFE Bear. VAM has a ton of premium connections and VAM threads go on chrome pipe and on uh non chrome pipe. And you got threaded and collared connections, you've got flush connections, which is when the thread is threaded onto the pipe itself. When you screw those pipes together,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there is no the, the connections are not bigger than the pipe. It's flush to the body of the pipe. There's no collar that creates a, a possible clearance issue. Flush joint is Flush, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that 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 would come with a restriction of um, ID of the pipe, right?
1: Um, actually, no. the re- the ID is the same. That's a great question, though. Um, the your your tint your your mechanical properties of that, that connection will often change. So, on flush joint pipe, that's definitely a question you need to look at. Is my can I hang this flush joint connection as deep as if I had a collared connection? Mm-hmm. The answer is often no. It actually has a lower tensile strength at the connection. It has a lower burst pressure at the connection very often in flush joint pipe. And so when you when you have a flush joint connection, uh, that's something you want to really dive into is the technical side of it to make sure you're not uh, you're solving a clearance issue to all of a sudden have an unknown um, well design issue in terms of collapse and tensile
0: gotcha yeah says the pipe dealer yeah (laughs) no man you've already taught me a lot (laughs) all all these little things i'm thinking of like like scenarios and stuff i've heard of i'm like oh i wonder if that wonder if that was the issue or wonder, you know so definitely definitely taught me a lot already but all right so so after the threads after 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 the pipes are are threaded where we at then so then it's
1: it's I'll, it's prime pipe. When when pipe is made from a steel mill and it's passed all its inspections, it's passed its threading. Once it's passed its threading, it's passed all of its quality inspections on the tube. Those being the the metallurgy, which is making sure the mechanical properties are there, like tensile yield, percent elongation. Your sharpie—that's a huge test. Um, your and you also do a non-destructive test on every joint of pipe at the steel mill, where you prove up the body wall to make sure you have close to nominal body wall. um then, then you have prime pipe you thread it and uh once you thread it it's 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 prime pipe and what prime pipe means is it's pipe that's new unused from a steel mill either 18 or 24 months old or less it means the mill's warranty still applies that's a technical term for prime pipe now um that's important because that's different from surplus pipe um talking about the life cycle of pipe. Um, if if you have prime pipe, then you've got the mill warranty. You've got material test reports that show all the, those testing that I just explained at the mill. Mm-hmm. They show how it's traceable to each individual joint through a heat number. Oh wow. And uh, so that's prime pipe. Now pipe becomes surplus once it – so surplus is actually an interesting word. And so I almost want to stop right here and say – If anybody is ever buying pipe in their careers and you are trying to save money with surplus pipe, you have to be very confident in your relationship with the pipe dealer you're working with because there is no defined term for surplus pipe. Mm -hmm. Surplus pipe can mean that it's just pipe that's extended that 18 to 24-month warranty but still has MTRs traceable to each individual tube. Um, It could mean pipe that doesn't have MTRs but was once prime in its life cycle. It could. Some people interpret it as being milliseconds pipe that failed inspections at the mill, but is unused and is therefore surplus pipe. Mm. And so we see a lot in practice, and that's a very different product than the first two surplus yeah. products I explained. <laughs> and so it's very important that when you see the term surplus, you dig deeper as a purchaser, and that really starts with trusting your your distributor. Um, and having a good relationship there. So there's great opportunities to save money right there, but you need to trust your distributor. Another another point right there is a lot of surplus pipe is just old pipe. It's been sitting for two, three, four years, but it was prime at one point in its life cycle. That doesn't mean that that pipe does not need further inspections prior to qualifying for rig use. And so that's another uh, question you need to ask is what's been done to the pipe before we ship it to location? Because just because you're buying new pipe, that doesn't mean you've passed and even if it's once prime pipe new pipe you still have to make sure that it's suitable to be around the rig and so mm-hmm. that's that's the part of the life cycle before pipe is used which we call surplus pipe Well, we, we actually we don't call it surplus pipe we 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 detail 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 about what's happened to this pipe and 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 where it's at and um so we do deal in mill seconds in pipe that is rejected at the steel mill, but we don't call it surplus. We call it limited service. Mm. And what that is, is pipe that's requalified, even though it was rejected from the steel mill, it was requalified with a hydro test and a drift and putting an API thread on it with a new collar on it. And it can go in shallow wells. And we we get to know the environment and make sure that there's no corrosion issues in the environment because reject a uh, limited service pipe sometimes you can have, for instance p one ten tubes in limited service well, if you've got some h two s in your well and you're trying to save money with limited service, you might have a bad time because if it's p one ten p one ten is very brittle relative to other grades of steel
2: because
1: mm. it's really hard and it it can be susceptible for h two s
0: so well,
1: mm. um, I make pipe buying sound really scary, huh? <laughs> well, it, it,
0: as, as with anything, anything you start diving into deep, you're just like, well, okay, well, something you'd think would be easy, you know, it'd be like buying a car or something. Like, you know, it's never easy. There's always so much to it. So glad, glad you're shedding some light on this. So now, if anybody's aspiring to be a drilling engineer, you know, a few more little little things that your career might entail. <laughs>
1: Right. Right. You're, if you're end up being a, a purchaser of pipe in the oil field, you will learn all these things and, and the goal being to learn them on the front end and not learn them.
0: Yeah. Well, ho- uh, from a hopefully. Degree. Yeah. Hopefully they learn these things.
1: <laughs> um, and then so later in the pipe's life cycle, uh, once it's become prime pipe, uh, you know, excluding surplus, it becomes prime pipe. It's used in an oil well, and then it's pulled out because, uh, for a multitude of reasons, uh, it might be uh, production tubing that the well produced the first couple of weeks and then it ran out of oil, and then the, they pulled the tubing out. Uh, it might have might be production tubing that produced for four or five years and then it sprung a leak through corrosion. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be, and then people might need to plug and abandon the well late in its life cycle um, because of the state regulation or, or something like that. And they'll even pull the casing out the well. So you got used casing. And so on the used side of used pipe, um we we have a forty-three acre reconditioning facility in, in here in Cameron, Louisiana, so we really cut our teeth on, on used pipe. That's how we were brought up sixty-two years ago. And so when you it's a great way to reduce your cost. Uh chrome tubing is fifty percent the cost of new on the on the used side. Uh uh eight round tubing is about eighty percent the cost of new. And it's it's a really highly traded. It's been commoditized, and so what most people are familiar with used pipe is when they hear the term yellow band.
2: Mm-hmm. When you
1: hear the term yellow band, that means you're dealing with used pipe. And yellow band is not an API regulated term. Um, yellow band, yellow band means that it's been. Inspected. You remember that non-destructive test at the mill I spoke about earlier, where it proves up the body wall on every single joint to make sure you have close to nominal wall thickness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that that's called an EMI inspection. And I'm really getting into the weeds here, but
2: <laughs> go for uh, it. <laughs> n- new
1: mill, new mill inspection is it allows for twelve and a half, up to twelve and a half percent wall loss from nominal, and a yellow, and that's called a white band inspection. A yellow band inspection is one step below that. A yellow band inspection allows up to 15% wall loss from nominal, so they're really close. But in terms of the the wall thickness allowed, but they're all, they're used to designate the difference between new and used pipe in most cases. Mm. And I say in most cases because it's not regulated by API, and so again, you have to trust your if you're buying reconditioned pipe and yellow band pipe. You really want to work with a distributor that's going to hold your hand through that process because it's there's even less literature out there about yellow band pipe and what exactly does that mean when you're buying yellow band pipe.
0: Mm, Gotcha, gotcha. Now, so you said that uh, this is the white band or whatever can be twelve and a half percent. So, could you is that theoretically what would be acceptable coming out of a mill for the the prime pipe? Like, can you have prime white banded pipe?
1: Right. Great question. So uh white band pipe out of the mill uh or prime pipe out of the mill will have received either it'll receive a white band zero to twelve and a half and zero to twelve and a half percent inspection and that's for most white band pipe out of the mill. Um, you do have a lot of pipe coming out with um it's called an sr two inspection and it's tighter than a zero to twelve and a half. It only allows five percent wall loss at the mill and it's um now that doesn't mean you can go and change your engineering equations to have a instead of a 0.875 safety factor to change it to a point nine five safety factor keep your safety factors in there
2: mm-hmm. but it
1: is a more strict stringent test and uh a lot of so it is more strict. So uh, a new mill inspection will either be zero to five percent or zero to twelve and a half percent. And you gotta really dive into the details with your mill to see which one it is. Usually L eighty will always have zero to twelve and a half. And then as you get in the higher grades like P one ten or high collapse P one ten especially, they they pump up the inspection to zero to five percent SR two white band inspection.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. No I appreciate I appreciate the clarification there. All right, so with the, uh, whenever it's still in the mill um, and they're doing the inspection, do they, do they, I assume they do pressure tests and all that? as well? That was part of the, the testing, right?
1: Right. They, at the mill, they do a plain end hydro test, uh, which is they fill it up with water before they put the threads on it and they pressure it up to uh, the 80% threshold. They go up to 80% of the theoretical burst pressure because mm-hmm. uh, they don't want to they don't want to break every pipe to show what it burst at because it wouldn't be a good piece of pipe right
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It wouldn't stay in business very long <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah no. gotcha gotcha okay well sounds good now after so after after you got used pipe and then you can re- recondition recondition everything you know what what's left in this uh life cycle here
1: so uh recondition pipe um once it falls out of Yellowman spec, it can become flow line, uh, which a lot of people use eight round pipe for flow line, which is horizontal pipe that lays above ground horizontally. Uh, it doesn't need a drift, just needs to hold pressure. And they like to use eight round because you can actually screw it together with monkey wrenches above ground. And, um, and you can, you can use cheater pipes and people do that all over the place. Uh, there's some, uh, some ways to, to do that. A lot of our customers do it and um they uh it's also good if you're working in an old field that has a bunch of old lines running through it, and you don't want costly welders standing around waiting as you as you dig up the the, the hole to put your flow line in and you come across all these old lines you gotta go in and out and underneath them mm-hmm. uh, having that eight round to screw together and be a little bit more maneuverable without a high cost crew waiting on you to get to get through it um, that's a that's a big advantage there too and then after that, um, it becomes a good fence post, um, and <laughs> even even fence posts have aesthetic issues. Where a lot of times, if, if it if it if it doesn't look right, if the cosmetic issues are, are a problem, then it becomes junk. And that is the complete life cycle of of pipe in terms of what when we go through pipe. Those are our three homes for it. When we sort it, it either. Is reusable in the oil field, either downhole or as flow line, mm-hmm. usually differentiable by the EMI inspection category. Uh, it can be a fence post, a structural, or it can be scrap. Gotcha. Those are the three illustrious ends for OCTG pipe on the reconditioning side.
0: Hmm. So then the, the scrap would just go back to a a, a mill to potentially be used again or
1: right. And so um, there's two popular ways to make pipe is with a, either a blast furnace, which does not use scrap most of the time, which I'm kind of talking out of school there. They might use scrap sometimes, but usually they just use iron ore and a blast furnace. Those are real big time mills. Mm. Uh, but they starting they became electric arc furnace mills or mini mills became really popular maybe 10 20 30 years ago uh not 150 years ago sometime in between there and these mini mills they they use a lot more scrap uh and so yes so the when we sell the scrap it, it becomes a new pipe uh pretty quickly and uh domestically we buy a lot of scrap but internationally, they buy a lot of our scrap, too, because in the United States, we throw away stuff um, before it becomes dust or rust, right? And so our mm. scrap is actually more highly sought after than scrap in other parts of the world because they use it down to where, where, until it becomes very, very brittle. So real strong scrap industry in the States.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And um, just in terms of, you know, for anybody who's ordering pipe, so... Besides the, the differences of, of thread and just the, the two different types of, of pipe, you mentioned the ERW and seamless, there's really no other differences or different grades or anything of, of the pipe itself or anything, right? Those are pretty much all the distinctions that you'll be faced with.
1: Great. No, that there are different grades. You you've narrowed in on, on one aspect I hadn't touched on real deeply. Um, so there's different grades of OCTG. Um, grade is the type of steel, uh, and so grade will tell you the important mechanical and physical properties of the steel. The mechanical properties being that the yield strength of the pipe and that determines how deep you can hang, hang it. It determines how much burst pressure it can hold and how much collapse it can hold. It's not the only thing that's important there, but it's a it's a very very important factor there and what what yield strength is, it's the amount of PSI required to, when you pull on the pipe on two different ends, the amount of force required to permanently deform it to where when you let go, it stays in that altered shape. Gotcha. And so that's important because steel is actually, um, it'll, if, if you pull it, like, let's say J55, for example, that's a grade of steel. That J55 has a 55,000 PSI yield strength. And so uh, and that's what on every grade of OCTG pipe, the number after the letter will always mean the minimum yield strength. So N80 OCTG, the 80 means it has 80 KSI or greater yield strength. P110 it has 110 KSI or 110,000 PSI minimum yield strength. And using the J55 example, the uh, when you it, it, theoretically, if you pull on both ends of that piece of J55 pipe with 54,000 pressure pounds per square inch and you let go, the amount it's stretched, it'll go back into its original shape. And that's called... Um, that is called...
0: <laughs> a technical I mean, term.
1: <laughs> it's a te- I think it's elastic deformation, but it's a very important quality of pipe because it helps determine its toughness. Mm. Um, and so... Um, so that is uh, what... W- when you buy the grade, you're buying that the strength of it, and that helps determine how deep it can hang, the burst pressure, the collapse pressure. The other thing you're buying with the grade is the chemical composition, uh does it how much uh chromium does it have in it and that chromium determines how much corrosive anti-corrosive properties does it have Mm. um and uh some grades of steel have a ceiling on phosphorus and sulfur and those uh that's like p110 Mm -hmm. will have that and so when you're buying the the grade of steel that that determines how strong the pipe is among other things
0: okay and whenever you're Um, so so the pipes to get like a little bit of um, resistance to corrosion and everything is that, so is that literally done to the chemical composition of the steel then, or do they also uh, like do coatings or or special kind of coatings during the process of manufacturing?
1: Uh, Both. Um, The two big, so coatings aside, the two things that big things that we look at when we want to, see how anti-corrosive the pipe is is one it's hardness uh the lower the hardness the more anti-corrosive it is in general and the but the lower the hardness the weaker it is so uh, these deep high pressure wells it's it's a give and take so you have to get anti-corrosion properties through other means usually um and the the chemistry is one way to get there you can increase the chromium you can increase the nickel you can increase the molybdenum those are three commonly used, uh, elements to do that. Uh, there's a couple other tricks you can do uh, with a couple other elements. And, uh, another way you, you, you nailed it is uh coating, uh, in the oil field, there used to only be internal plastic coating, which was a, uh, an epoxy coating on the inside. And they could be called an IPC and we still use it a lot, but now there's a whole huge menu of new coatings that, um, there's fiberglass coatings. There's ceramic coatings. There's there's a ton. Uh, we still find IPC is the most popular, uh, but there there's definitely a bunch of coatings out there.
0: Mhm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> clearing that up a little bit for me. Um, and so, do you have anything else on the uh, the life cycle? Um, otherwise, I have one another topic I wanted to ask you about. Anything else on, on that end?
1: No. I think we we okay. we. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm sure we could continue for, a, I'm sure there's, you, know, you could dwell into any, any more of that uh, for a while, I'm sure. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you to hit on, cause I, we, we talked about it just briefly on the the phone when we talked previously uh, was just some of the, the challenges you see of people specific, <laughs> specifically, specifically uh, you know, new engineers um, trying to you know, navigate through whenever they're ordering pipe. And you mentioned the red book and some difficulties there. Could you kind of spell that out for us a little bit? I think that'd be a pretty good way to kind of start concluding this.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We, we want to do a, a more comprehensive, uh, uh, podcast on pipe brothers about challenges, young engineers face, uh, specifically with pipe or with anything that they're doing. So reach out to us at pipe Uh, and if you have any suggestions, but one of the ones that we see as pipe dealers, uh, for young engineers and young, I mean, it could be five years into your career. You could be 10 years into the career and there's all kind of things that, that, that you'll see. I'm still learning new stuff every single day. Um, one of the things that we see is the, the Halliburton Red Book, a phenomenal resource for all engineers at all stages of their career. Uh, one shortcoming of it is that it lists OCTG pipe sizes that exist in theory, exist in the API book, but they don't exist in the market. And so, every now and then, we'll get an engineer calling us for 10,000 feet of five and three quarter inch OD P110 pipe. Well, we know that's a that's a signal for us we'll we'll communicate to um, and say are you sure you know this is they make it it exists in theory but it's really hard to find and you honestly five and three quarter you probably won't find it but (laughs) maybe you will and it'll and it'll cost an exorbitant amount of money maybe twice or three times as much as another od like five and a half or Mm -hmm. seven inch and um but but the worst case scenario is if if the the engineer is dealing with salespeople who we don't like to tell people no as salespeople. Or a, lot, a lot of people, I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it, but, <laughs> but <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of great salespeople don't. And um, so you'd hate to be an engineer and have two or three salespeople looking for your five and three quarter inch, not wanting to tell you no, come back to you in three or four days and they can't find it. And your timeline is, is off and you're learning uh, maybe a week later that that size that you planned everything else around, you wrote your whole well program out around doesn't even exist and so uh, and that started from the Halliburton eBook from leading you the wrong way and don't get me wrong excuse me the the Halliburton uh, red book which now I think it's called the eBook I have it on my phone phenomenal resource Mm -hmm. it's not to not be used it is it is phenomenal the Halliburton's done a great job there Uh, but you need to be able to as a young engineer you need to have um, some sort of website that helps People in the industry learn about the oil field. What well, is there one out there? I can't think of one. <laughs> Heard of one?
0: Huh? <laughs> but, Sounds pretty basic, but, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, it, it. So, I'd
1: love to do a podcast that just that just hones in on all those those different situations where it's such an easy trap for engineers to fall into. Um. Uh. You know, as, as a pipe dealer, the difference between uh, PH6 and CS Hydro. They look a lot alike in the field. It is easy to confuse them, especially on macaroni threads, on, on really skinny tubes. And so um, I had the benefit, if they call them macaroni pipe, any pipe under two and three eighths, they call it macaroni.
0: Um, <laughs> I didn't realize and, that. Uh,
1: <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah, so if you hear macaroni, and I think it might even be in API books. It's like a legit, like, term. Oh, really? Term. <laughs> uh, and um, so... We had the I had the benefit growing up on a pipe yard, so I, I saw P. H. Six and C. S. Hydro all the time, even on macaroni tubing. So I could tell the difference. But that's a huge. Uh, it's an easy way to find yourself in a real big bind if you miscalled pipe. So um, just from looking at it. So yeah, there, I think there's a bunch of areas where we could put a great show together and, and, and have a great resource uh, to help young engineers. You know. Just cross all those bridges right away.
0: You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and that's something like the red book. You know, it's doing its job. Like it, it's supposed to have, you know, really any anything in existence in there in case you ever need to reference it on like some crazy offshore well or whatever be the case, some special well. But you know, besides that, you know, being able to navigate through it's another thing. But yeah, so thanks so thanks for pointing that out. Um, last thing I, I pretty much have for you, and I didn't prepare you for this. I didn't ask you ahead of time. So if you don't have anything off the top of your head, that's fine. But, you know, is there anything, um, you know, for especially anybody who's not familiar with this realm or anything, um, especially myself, you know, that you see coming up in terms of like a a new trend or something that's becoming more common, or maybe see a challenge coming up on the horizon or anything that you think would be uh, good to point out uh, for just general knowledge, anything that's trendy right now? (laughs) Any any hashtags out there? That's a
1: great question. (laughs) I could answer that in 10 different ways. (laughs) Um, um, You know, operationally, um, God, there's so many things that are becoming (laughs) popular. I would say, oh, I got, this is the best one. So if you're, and I have to speak from my world, so, if you're a purchaser in the oil field and you're just now getting into it, you know, it is be very careful about buying pipe on these Amazon-type marketplaces. There's several reasons. I, 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 You know, I think that we're on a continuum where I think in… X amount of years, we're going to be buying everything from Amazon-type market- marketplaces. It's too mm-hmm. easy to just go to one source and be able to feel like you're vetting quality appropriately, which even Amazon has its problems with that. But um, in industrial purchasing, like in the oil field, like for OCTG, I don't think we're anywhere close where we need to be to equip purchasers to make informed, practical purchases on a marketplace and one of the reasons being choice architecture, when you control the marketplace, you get to put the suggestions in front of the person and create the menu for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the information you're being fed, even if you go to a marketplace that, um, you know, let's say on the surplus side, let's say you're, you've been charged with selling your, your surplus pipe, uh, as an oil company, a pipe that you changed the string design. So you don't need it. Or you, um, you bought more than you needed or you canceled a program and you want to put it on a marketplace where they're taking a huge commission. Uh, They're telling you what you can get for it, but they're, you know, no we're in it to make money. And so I still am a fan of the old on that, on the sales side as an operator to just collect a bunch of bids, go through the process and then find out what the market is for yourself. Be careful of choice architecture in, Whenever you're going to sell your surplus assets, or when you're going to buy uh, assets for your your oil well, and so I think we're going to get there. I just don't think we're we're that close enough. Um, you know, uh, you want to be able to have a unfettered line of communication to the person selling you a very technical product like OCTG, uh, like frac equipment, like downhole tools. You want to be able to talk directly to somebody, especially young in your career. And I mm-hmm. would say at any point in your career, because there's something I learn new every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, we um, trying to think of a specific example where, um, yeah, that's what I would do. And I would, I would, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a a great, and that you're going to see a lot of that. There's a lot of of Amazon-like oil field marketplaces out there, and they're going to get more popular, and they're yeah. going to be
0: yeah, and we're going had, to be a great asset. For people. We've even had a few on our show that are doing something. We we had specifically one on uh, equipment, uh, ring equipment, and everything, and uh, maybe not so not so prevalent in something like that, but something like this, we're actually buying it to you know put in a well or something. There, you have to have that that education to be paired with it, so. I think that's maybe, maybe other ways we can get involved with some things with Oofa Basics down the road <laughs> as, as we build the empire, right? But <laughs> that, that's definitely got to be. It will be
1: that need because yeah. there will be purchases made that way, and yeah. it will help the industry. But there will be serious hurdles that they have to contend with, and I think that's a great point. I think you guys are uniquely qualified to help with that, mm-hmm. with that learning curve. Yeah,
0: well, appreciate you bringing that up, and so yeah. Th- th- so, thanks so much for for being on the show. I Look forward to our future collaborations. I know you mentioned, well, we've got it planned. Uh, we'll all be on as a guest on your show, so we can yes. send each other's uh, audiences to each other's podcasts. But yeah, so tell us uh, where to check out your show uh, for anybody listening and how many times a week you do it and just kind of give us the quick rundown and then now everybody will know.
1: Pipebrothers.net. Me and my brother, Jonathan Jensen, uh, we do a podcast at least once a week, we try to do twice. Once a week, we'll do the OCTG update, where we'll talk about the market. Uh, we give you candid uh, insights on the market, where we believe we're at this time in history, where you know it used to be no data, no data available, none of the time, and now it's pretty much all data available all the time, and we're moving that direction. So there's no benefit for a pipe dealers to withhold market information from you. So we the market's going down in price right now we're shouting from the rooftops because uh there's no point in waiting for you to learn it on your own we want you to hear it from us uh so we do that market update once a week and we also try to do evergreen content we have a great episode on erw and seamless where i think i dove even deeper than we talked about today but i don't know we dove real deep today <laughs> um and uh we produce a lot of evergreen content like that so um yeah, uh, Pipe Brothers dot pipe net is our podcast. And Then, of course, the mothership that that pays our bills is Coastal Pipe of Louisiana. Coastalpipeofla.com dot com is the website. Uh, we stock thirty thousand tons of OCTG, mostly reconditioned. We help people reduce their cost on new drills, uh, rental pipe needs, production tubing completions, and workovers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you'd be one to educate people along the way. So I'd <laughs> definitely be a good guy to work with on that. But. Yeah, guys, check out uh, check out their podcast. Like I said, I'll definitely be listening in. Uh, well, listen to it today for the first time. So definitely more in the future here. Um, and they also have some some good crafty da- oil filled dad jokes. So they're they're pretty funny to listen to. So <laughs> check no, them out. I gave me the chill.
2: <laughs> <laughs> i love
0: it yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so check out check out their podcast and uh follow them subscribe on that and, uh, and you know drop any podcast you listen to guys feel free to you know drop a, a review and it helps it helps everybody out so thanks everyone for for listening in and thanks jake so much for for being on this episode like i said look forward to future collaborations with you
1: i love it me too derek i really enjoyed myself <laughs> all right thanks jake take care take yep. care brother
0: Yep. Thanks guys again for, for listening in and uh, look forward to the future episodes. We've got a lot of, like I keep mentioning, we've got a lot of good hot topics coming up here in the future. Um, I've already got, I'm trying to do a couple podcasts this week to just kind of have a little bit of a buffer as I start my job here very shortly. So kind of pre-recording some of these episodes but so i i, I know the topics now and, and they're good so <laughs> keep keep uh keep subscribed and uh please share it with some friends and or even family <laughs> listen listen to it in, in the in the car with your kids on a road trip i'm sure they'd love it so <laughs> I you might convince them to go into oil field so all right guys thanks and we'll catch you in the next episode take care